This is the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Cary, deep in the forests of Nutmegerville. This show is dedicated to exploring pathways to better health from a holistic perspective. In each episode, we will explore such topics as nutrition, mental and emotional health, fitness, and more. I'm Yogi, your host, and I became interested in studying health after conventional health dogma became damaging and led me to become massively overweight. Against modern convention, I went on a keto lifestyle and I lost over 300 pounds and gained a level of control on my personal health that I never had before. Now I'm on a journey to find out what is myth and what is truth in the ever convoluted world of what is considered healthy. Come join me on a journey of discovery as I look for a path to improve total health. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the fatty joe show or patreon.com slash Brown. If you want to check out all of our social media links and recipes, head to carrybrown.com. Don't forget to leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the show. Hey, everyone. This is the second half of the interview that we did with Marty Kendall. The interview went long, so we broke it up into two pieces. The first half dropped last week, and this is the second half. So if you haven't heard the first part yet, please go back and listen to that one first. We are also coming out with a little bonus episode of the part of the behind-the-scenes conversation that Marty and I had before I actually started the episode. So be sure to check out that when it comes out. All right, everybody, enjoy the interview. Generally, generally, if you're eating whole foods, it's a good point. But if you need, if you're getting, if you're not getting the response you want, then dialing it up a little bit further is is really helpful. You can and you can quantify that and work out what you need for your goal. Yeah, and you know, there's also there is the fact that you know some of the the foods that we say, hey, you must eat this is so nutrient dense. You know, people may have a bad reaction to it as well. Mm. If you're allergic to something, it could be oysters, which is one of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, but now it's poison mm. to you, so it's not going to do you anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. so it, I think also finding things. One of the ones that I recommend to a lot of people is eggs. Yeah. Because of the nutrient density of the egg yolks, especially if it's a properly raised egg. But you also have people that have uh, that casein protein allergy or the allergy to eggs, mm. so they, they got to find something else. But uh, it, it seems that a lot of people don't know about the things that are actually nutrient dense and mm. and the, the type of foods that are options for them or why mm. one food might be a better option for their situation like um people with ma- magnesium deficiencies may do better with more plants in their diet because mm. plants mm. are a magnesium based molecule for the chlorophyll mm. that way it's for the, the, you know the animal if they're iron deficient then animal proof animal sources mm. may better for you because of the iron molecule and it's definitely more bioavailable from the animal source yeah well you know you look at heme iron and there's nothing mm. like it that our body could absorb on the planet than, than heme iron mm. and the only place mm. it's available is, is is red meat when we're talking about keto myths we we not only do people believe that they have to fat chase or ketone chase but um they often 
will yell about certain foods being that's not keto or that food is keto. But, you know, you and I will sit here and talk and go food isn't keto or not keto. So let's let's kind of address some of the myths on foods that people would be surprised that might benefit them on a keto diet rather than uh, excluding even if in their mind it's not keto. Yeah, um, I suppose the question is how to define keto, and that's probably sort of part of the inspiration of writing the book. Is is you know some people define keto as a food that will drive up their their blood ketone values over a certain value and therefore you know the mct oil and the c8 and and the butter and and uh maximizing lard and and adding as much of that to your diet as you can if your goal is managing parkinson's or alzheimer's or depression or epilepsy then that's a definition of keto but i think a lot of the time as i said before people are wanting the, the fat loss and then are wanting fat from their bodies so to to get that form of keto, whether ketones are coming from their body, then prioritizing satiety and nutrient density is, is number one priority. So, yeah, as Ted Naiman talked a lot about, it's um, a higher protein percentage, which tends to come with a whole ton of nutrients, which makes you satiated and reduces your cravings. And, you know, people go, oh, protein raises your insulin levels, but also protein, you know, may raise your insulin more in the short term than that refined fat but it lowers your body fat which really attacks the major insulin requirement in your body and and once you lower your, your body fat level overall your your overall total daily insulin requirement plummets so you know that's where someone on keto 80 percent of their insulin requirement is about holding their body fat in storage so if you attack that with satiety um, and nutrient density then that'll actually be more ketogenic in the way that they want it to be ketogenic although you know at the same time they may see over the as they get healthier their their blood ketones and their blood glucose and their free fatty acids in their blood are probably going to drop down as they reverse their insulin resistance and diabetes and, and achieve long-term health so yeah those um nutrient dense whole food sources that are tend to be higher in protein and higher in nutrients are going to be excellent keto foods that will add health to them in the long term I'm a big fan of using food as medicine as much as possible. So there's things that I've incorporated in my diet periodically that freak a lot of uh, dogmatic keto people out. Um, and one is beets. I did a lot of years of that low-fat diet, and my mm. fat ability suffered from it. Right. And I had you know issues with, with bile production and things like yep. that. So one of the things I incorporated to get able to process the fats I was eating was beets. I would do beets, like shaved beets into my salad or whenever possible, fermented, some sort of form of fermented beets, like beet kvass drink, which is a lot like kombucha yep. or naturally fermented pickle beets because then the carbs mm. are reduced. Yeah, wow. And the nutrients are more bioavailable. Mm. But what it would do is loosen up that bile flow, mm. make things flow easier. So I would do the beets cool. and then I'd wait a little while and then I would have like maybe some apple cider vinegar to up the, the acid in my stomach. Mm. Then mm. I would have a meal. Um, otherwise, I would, you know, if I could get it a decent type of digestive enzyme supplements or something mm. like that, just till I got into play. But when I explained that to people and what I did, who were real hardcore keto, I, they couldn't get past what I was explaining to them. It was just, that's not keto. So, you know, and, and so it, it, it's kind of hard to talk to people when they just get that click in their head. It almost political. Yeah. 
politicized or religious view of, of the mm. dietary standards. So, yeah, yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking, um, like the potato can be the most satiating food that's been tested, and if you only had potato to eat, really, really hard to eat a massive amount of potato if there was no fat and no salt added to it, and you probably get a lot of ketones coming from your body as you lost weight. So you know, you, you know, how do you define keto? And there's so many definitions of keto, and I think people need to go, well, is that keto? What what version of keto do you want, and what are you actually trying to achieve, and why? And let's look past that keto label and and to understand. What are we trying to do in our body and, and, and why? And therefore, how do we, which tool do we use in our tool belt to achieve that? I think it, it would be better if people looked at keto as a metabolic state and not as a diet. It might help people understand the process more. As long as I'm able to put myself in this metabolic state, because, you know, even a person who's doing, let's say, endurance sports, they may t- be more carb tolerant and actually have some benefits to incorporating some carbs when it comes to recovery and things like Mm. that and be able to still maintain ketosis eating a Mm. higher amount of carbs even though those carbs are are not considered keto so that that kind of comes to mind there was a there was a a guy that was a long distance runner and uh zach bitter Bitter? no i listened to zach quite a bit uh podcast with sean baker but this mm. was actually a different guy and i've heard zach talk about it all but i'm just mm. i'm thinking about this guy because he was the first guy i heard about it and he was a um he was a uh from africa and mm. he was a, a, a long distance like like zach bitter does like mm. extreme marathons and things like that but one of the things he was talking about is he got introduced to the keto diet by tim noakes mm. But he would do a carbohydrate refeed after some of his long runs mm. to allow the body to relax. But he tested his insulin after he would do the refeed. And he might have an initial spike after the meal, but then he would go right back into ketosis. Yeah, like, totally. You know, and so I think it depends on your output, what you're doing. Mm. Oh, I, think, yeah. I think the more sedentary you are, it mm. seems to me the more sedentary you are, the more toxic carbohydrates become. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you've got, um, if you look at it from a personal fat threshold point of view, your, your body fat stores become full and then they sort of overflow back into your bloodstream. So not only do you have excess free fatty acids and ketones in your bloodstream, you sort of, the glucose can't be absorbed as well. So once you sort of empty the sponge of your body fat, then it can just absorb all the energy that from your diet and it's not just overflowing into your blood and your and your liver and your pancreas and your brain and your heart and everything. So, yeah, it's sort of if you're actually within your personal fat threshold, metabolically healthy, however you want to define it, insulin sensitive, then you're, uh, you know, you can tolerate that a little bit more carbohydrate. But, yeah, you don't have to, just because Zach Bitter eats carbohydrates, you don't have to load up with carbohydrates thinking you're going to be like Zach if you're not running the 100-mile runs. Yeah, it, you know, it's. I think it just is a variance of, of what you're doing in your life is going to have a huge effect. Like me sitting on my butt in the truck, I'm, I'm obviously carbs are not going to be doing very well for me. I mean, you wrote the book on, on keto. So <laughs> what, what is one of the, like, if you could pick one right off the top of your head of a myth that, that kind of maybe is either on the top of your mind or something that, that is really triggering you lately, one that's like maybe bugging you here a lot, what, what would come to the top of your list? Wow. I think people need to understand what ketones mean and whether they're coming from your 
your body or your diet and which one you actually want and understand that over the longer term as you get metabolically healthy your body doesn't overflow those ketones into your blood so to continue to chase ketones as an end goal i think is is misguided and you know there's people can get tripped up and believe they just continue to eat fat to satiety which is something that i've i fell for and believe for a long time and you know fat isn't the most satiating macronutrient it's you know protein combined with nutrient density so that's something i'd love people in the keto world to understand is if their goal is to lose body fat then prioritizing high protein percentage that comes with nutrient dense whole foods is going to get them where they actually want to get rather than just getting high ketones for no particular reason now if i'm that annoying kid at the back of the class raising his hand keto class and i'm gonna yell out what about gluconeogenesis <laughs> um yeah 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 that, that that's a pretty annoying kid um <laughs> so so yeah complex topic but um in in people who are metabolically healthy then eating protein um keeps their blood sugar stable and if they're really metabolically healthy a high protein meal will often drop their blood sugars but in my wife um who is injecting insulin um, with a pump all the time. She needs insulin to suppress the glucose being, uh, with the glycogen being released from her liver, as well as metabolizing the protein at the same time. So you need all these things to actually happen. And over the longer term, the higher protein percentage leads to the, the satiety, which enables your body fat to be reduced, which enables your overall daily protein, uh, daily insulin requirement to, to drop. So she did this experiment with me with the first nutritional optimization masterclass, and we just prioritized these high-protein, high nutrient-dense, high-satiety meals that we designed, and she lost like 12% of her body fat, body weight in, in the six weeks and you know, did really well. And even in the leaderboard, she got really comp competitive. And um, her daily insulin dose across the day went from like 35 to like 12 units per day. So if you're looking at insulin, blood sugars, uh, you know, don't fear protein and uh, understand that if you're injecting uh, if you're not injecting insulin, then your body's not going to produce more insulin that needs to hold back the energy that's coming in through your mouth. So, you know, insulin doesn't drive fat storage. Fat storage drives more insulin. So I think that's something that people currently don't seem to see that I hope they do. Well, I, I read a book uh, a little ways back when I was on the truck, and it was called uh, The Secret Life of Fat by Sylvia Terra. Okay. And she talked quite a bit about how fat works as an organ in your body mm. and that it very similar to to cancer the way cancer operates a a fat cell really works to live and mm. it'll it'll produce enzymes to create arterial growth into the lipid cell and then wow. it'll also as it it, get, it expands it stimulates that insulin production so that it can stay fat and it, 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 there was a lot of parallels to, to cancer in my mind mm. when I was listening to this because cancer cells work very similar to that. Mm. Mm. But um, one of the things that she talked about was the fact that on uh, gluconeogenesis, your body really doesn't want to break down that much protein. It wants to mm. use the protein. It's a Lego that it mm. wants to build. Mm. 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 And so the, the concept of, of your body suddenly producing a bunch of sugar out of the protein you consume mm. 
seems to be unless something's not working properly in your body yeah. it seems to be something that's it's a little far-fetched so um one of the things too that people will harp on and we we often hear this from not necessarily the keto people but you'll hear about it from the people who are anti-keto like the vegans and the vegetarians and stuff is you're going to destroy your kidneys with all that protein <laughs> yeah yeah so, um I've I've heard uh, Ted talk about it. You know, there's no bodybuilders that are on kidney dialysis because they've eaten too much protein. And really, protein it's like resistance training for your your kidneys. Um, but if you look at the estimated um, glucuronal filtration rate, the EGFR, which is the test that's based on how much creatinine you've got in your blood, um, which is a f really a, you know, if you're eating more meat, which has got creatine in it, or you're actually taking creatine supplements, which are really beneficial for a whole bunch of things, it's sort of no wonder that your estimated glucuronal fil filtration rate, which is a measure of your kidney, people take as a measure of your kidney function, is going to be higher because you, you've got more muscle mass, you've got more creatine in your system um, and there's a really good uh, study by Stuart Phillips meta-analysis looking at all these um, you know does reducing protein improve your kidney health and no it, it doesn't improve kidney health and you know unless you're on stage four or five renal dialysis then you probably don't need to worry about excess protein harming your kidneys and most people are um, you know, on kidney dialysis because they've got really elevated blood sugars, which comes with elevated obesity, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that prioritizing protein is going to help you reduce your blood sugars and improve your insulin sensitivity and not get to that that point where you need the, the kidney dialysis. So, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I, I suppose if you already have a kidney problem, then too much protein may cause some issues yeah. because you can't filter things out. But talk to your nephro nephrologist, and if you don't have a nephrologist or don't know what nephrologist means, then you probably don't have an issue. <laughs> right. But uh, it, it seems to be the more damage to your kidneys is done from things like fructose and and, uh, and mm. these these sugar isolates mm. that mm. are common in in a lot of the foods that we buy, mm. including savory foods at the market. Mm. A lot of them are still loaded with sugar. Mm. Uh, you know, and it'll be sugar under a different name. It might be corn mm. this or, you know, the fatty liver disease and things like that that we're seeing an uptick in, especially in young kids, mm. is due to the high consumption of fruit juice and mm. and the high consumption of sodas and things like that. Yeah. Rather, than, If you look at the diets at schools and the kids that are getting fatty liver disease, there's not a lot of protein there. Yeah, 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 and and the fructose converts to fat in the liver, and it doesn't actually raise insulin or glucose. It it converts pretty much straight to fat. So um, yeah, the sugar is this amazing combination of glucose and fructose together. That like we talked about before, the the fat and carbs together that sends you into this hyper autumnal feeding frenzy cycle that you want to eat more and more. So yeah, it's it's um best to avoid. But if you're prioritizing nutrient density and priority uh, protein, that you won't you won't need to worry about it. Now, uh, one of the other things that people often want to incorporate on a keto diet because, and, and there's a hot, hotly debated right now between some people that say like, you can do this, or some people say you can't do this because it's going to raise your insulin, it's going to make you, you know, and this is uh, non-caloric sweeteners, especially ones that are drinkable and like diet sodas and things like that. Where's your stance on these non-caloric sweeteners? 
I don't really have a strong stance on on stevia and the like, unless you're making you know fat bombs that give you a lot of energy that makes it really hyper palatable. So if you're making um, keto treats that you're going to eat three times as much because it tastes amazing, that's probably not going to be a good situation. Um, unsweet uh, sweetened drinks that are calorie free, you know. I'd, I don't really have a passionate opinion either way, and it's uh, whole foods is going to be always optimum. But if that if that helps you avoid eating the the high fructose corn syrup, full strength Coke, then you know more power to you. And if uh, it's it's hard to avoid all um, all processed foods, but yeah, combining sweeteners with you know a lot of sugar and, and energy at the same time is going to be a bad combination. I think that's another kind of uh, overused term is is processed foods because we've been processing foods for yeah. how long? Sure. You know, it's, We're getting better and better and better at it though. Yeah, I think it's what what the processed food is intended to do and what it's designed to do. And when you're when you're stripping out the nutrients, then it's a problem. Or you're converting it into some sort of form of food like product that our body is not understanding. Mm what it is mm, that mm. that could also be an issue but if you think of like salami or if you think of uh cheese or if you mm. think of these are highly processed foods mm, but mm. a lot of them are very nutrient dense and mm. sometimes when you're using natural fermentation processes those mm. nutrients are more bioavailable yeah, definitely you beneficial know? processing yeah so it's it's definitely. like I'm, i've i've always kind of like those are some of the key words that kind of drive me a little <laughs> triggered because you know when i think about things i'm just like everything you cook something you're processing it like so i i always want to be careful on on that and like one of the things that i do that people have a hard time with like i said before is the keto chow but it works and it it worked for me when i was in the truck because i didn't have access to nutrient dense foods Mm. these guys have good manufacturing processes and they Mm. they incorporate a lot of nutrients like methylated b vitamins and things Mm. like that but the things that, that flags a lot of people is their use of sucralose. That seems to be a boogeyman in a lot of the sweetener world is the sucralose. Yeah. And I, as far as I've seen, there's a lot worse non-caloric sweeteners out there. Things that will pass the blood-brain barrier and things like yeah. that, like the aspartanes and, and things like that, that people consume happily. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the, the thought of food or the smell of food or the, the taste of sweet food can stimulate your insulin response a little bit and your blood sugar a little bit but i I sort of wonder what over the the fullness of the day if that didn't give you actually any energy and you know you're you think of the insulin as the the break on your liver that holds the energy back in your body if that's going to actually raise your insulin over the fullness of the day and if if using that sweetener enabled you to not consume as much total energy across the day your insulin over the day is going to come down so that's sort of the way i think about it that you know if it helps you avoid loading up on you know you talked about your appetite just driving you to eat and you know you need to control your appetite you need foods that control your appetite that don't just drive you to eat unlimited energy from food so if that that helps then then more power to you but um and it probably won't have a long-term effect i i read a book a ways back and it was all about self self self-control and and, uh and the author talked about the the fact that self-control is like a muscle it gets fatigued after a while if you're constantly Mm. saying no and saying no no, sometimes Mm. it may crack I know that for the sweet foods in particular in our society here in the U.S., you are bombarded wherever mm. you go. There, 
there's you can watch a TV show and might get hit with 20 commercials a night on sodas and cinnamon rolls and cookies mm. and candies and things like that, especially if it's a children's show. Mm. Uh, it, like all the commercials are about sweet things, just about or toy oh, yeah. or toy yep. that's related to a sweet thing. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, you know, the fact that you're constantly bombarded, I, and I know for me, when I was on the truck, I would get off the truck to go inside a truck stop and then get hit with, uh, here in the U.S., mm. we have Cinnabon, which is the mm. cinnamon roll company. Mm. And it smells amazing when you go in. And there was a couple of times where I caved and I got one. I was always disappointed because it didn't taste as good as it felt, <laughs> especially the one from the truck stop. But, you know, I, I realized that if I had some sort of sweet thing to go to every once in a while, mm. then had more self-control when it came to the the more harmful sweet things mm, that mm, were mm. constantly hitting my senses mm. you know i i would go and drive and, and be at the bakery to pick up a load and just you know that smell of fresh breaking baking dough oh, yeah. sugar combined with and it gets into the air and you're just like oh my god yeah, so hungry now <laughs> Yeah, I think an important factor, like you're sort of saying, is is to load up on the nutrient-dense whole foods earlier in the day so you're not getting to that, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night and you're going, oh, I'm, I'm still hungry and I was really good and was really self-controlled through the day. But then if, you, if your lizard brain kicks in and says you need energy now, you'll end up eating more than you wanted to. But, yeah, I, I, I um, there was a Brain Over Binge book and podcast that I was listening to and they talk about, you know, your, your, your binge is a choice and you always have this choice of whether you're going to binge or not. But at the same time, my experience is is uh, if you're giving your body nutrient-dense whole food earlier in the day, you'll be much, much less likely to be overdoing it. And, yeah, so... Yeah, it's it definitely worked for me, and I like the way Nina Teichel put it. She goes, "What are you going to put as a barrier in the way of that sweet thing that you want, like if that mm. craving that you want? So, mm. what's going to work for you to kind of block that craving?" And she said, "You know, is it taking a pinch of salt in your mouth to mm. to do it, or or a little bit of apple cider vinegar, or mm. something like that? Just have a barrier against that bad thing, yeah. <laughs> that worse yeah. thing." So you or, don't binge on that worst thing. Or having a, a go-to breakfast or go-to lunch that you know you've already got plenty of protein and nutrients. So you, you, that your lizard brain settles down and says, yeah, I've got the food that I, good nutrients I need and I can bugger off and go back to sleep. And it's not always hammering you until you give in to the Cinnabon. Well, that's, a, that's a good point that you bring up too. And you've talked about it on, on I've seen you talk, make posts about it on the, on the, uh, on the group of front loading mm. your protein for the day. Yeah. Breakfast. Yeah. And that seems to be a, another hotly contested uh, thing in amongst the keto world, the dietary world is when you eat there, you have this yeah. camp that says don't eat breakfast because you're going to disrupt your human growth hormone production and things like that. You should wait as long as possible and not eat until, you know, uh, uh, not eat too late, but eat in the middle of the day and mm. then have you only go to bed. Mm. There's another group that says eat during the day and then you go the rest of the day without eating, you know. So, mm. and you talked about front loading the protein specifically yep. to, to combat yeah. cravings to prevent binges throughout the day. So, yeah, can you definitely. Talk a little bit about that front loading and then maybe give us an example of what your breakfast might look like. 
Yeah, I, I don't. Um, well, I don't think you necessarily need to have breakfast, and um, but that first meal of the day, like you said, it's good to eat when the sun's up. It's good not to eat later, later at night, because you tend to be more insulin resistant, and everything goes to storage, and your blood sugars tend to go through the roof if you eat a big meal later at night. But um, typically, like I find it works for me just to get off to work and. Um, when it comes to 11, 12 o'clock, I'll have you know, a fish and salad that I can eat that uh, provides plenty of nutrients that I get into. Um, the the, the neighbours uh, cranked up the weed blower. Sorry about that. But, uh, You're pros um, for it. Yeah, so trying to – the neighbour loves his leaf blower. So, yeah, no, um, my, my – um, my general daily food routine is, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I know that if I start eating really, really early, you tend to continue to eat through the whole day. Um, but if I sort of delay my first meal till lunchtime, 11, 12 o'clock, I'll often wait for my blood sugars to come down a little bit. And I know I need to eat. Um, so I'll try and prioritize plenty of good protein and salad and, and mackerel or tuna or whatever with a, with a salad at work and then come home and have something nice. And, but I know if I limit too much during the day, I'm always, you know, searching for that energy dense, yummy yogurt or peanut butter or something really indulgent later in the day. So you really have to not deprive yourself too much um, earlier in the day. And, and But over the long term, you want to see that blood sugar is coming down or, or the weight or the fat is coming down. I suppose that's the... The key with um, data-driven fasting is you want to see over the long term some positive progress. Yeah, and it's I, I you I believe you hit the nail right on the head. You got to do what's right for you. Mm. And it works for you. So um, I think some people can wait a little bit longer, and then some people are like ravenously hungry when they wake up in the morning. Mm. I I think it looking at your hunger signals is important as mm. well because sometimes you're hungry just out of habit which I found yeah. that was, that was me a lot. I was yeah. just a specific time would hit and all of a sudden I'm hungry. Yeah, and yeah. then the time passed and all of a sudden I'm, I feel full again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the other thing too is you you may be hungry because of something else going on in your body. You feel hungry, but it could be you're dehydrated. You could mm, be missing, mm. like you said, missing a nutrient mm. uh, that your body is seeking out that you're not getting enough of. Mm. So listening to those satiety signals is mm. a, a trying to disseminate what those are and what's going on mm. is and it seems to be key uh mm. what's your experience with that do you ever find that like you you may be craving a particular food and then realize you're you're missing some sort of nutrients out of there or, yeah and we always find that people as with the nutritional masterclass they prioritize nutrient dense food to get more energy and they just you know satiety kicks in and it just works really nicely but also being able to with data-driven fasting calibrate your hunger to go no, i feel hungry i think i'm hungry but my blood sugars are still well above what they usually are for me um maybe i'm not really hungry i'm just you know stressed or um it's that time where i usually eat and you can go okay maybe i don't need to eat because i'm still my fuel tank's still full and i can wait a little bit longer for my blood sugars to come back down and that's a really nice way for people to to calibrate their actual hunger and then they call it hunger training that in time they'll get to a point where they they understand their hunger and, and they can you know tolerate just a little bit of hunger but not too much to the point that they end up binging and yeah that that, that just seems to be a critical critical piece of the puzzle that you know what you eat and uh, not pushing it too far to the point that you binge and, and rebound is really important. 
the uh, the emotional signals also plays a, a big role mm-hmm. in that as well. Oh, that uh, stress, you know, we talked a little bit about that earlier. Stress can drive, but also things like depression. Like uh, when your body's not feeling great, you may get a hunger signal that's not a real hunger signal because your body is craving some sort of comfort. It's, made, it's craving mm. that, that hormonal release for the, yeah. from the adrenals that makes you feel comfortable. Yeah. Same, yeah. same as getting a drug. And that's why you yeah. also might crave sweet things. And you get a dopamine hit from the food. And that's generally a healthy thing. But if you're using it to replace a dopamine hit that you should be getting from positive relationships or getting outside in the sun and getting activity or whatever that is that you should be seeking, you're seeking too much dopamine from your food. And then there's the seasonal factor as well, especially those of us who live, you know, in areas further away from the equator ancestrally craved the more carbohydrate rich sweeter food during the winter t- heading into mm. the time and and actually our body wanted to get fat going into the winter yeah. time our body's like a doomsday pre- prepper and the fat storage is all their cans of spam up on the shelf you know and so they were worried that during the winter we weren't getting enough food we needed the insulation we needed mm. all this other uh things going on so it, there's also could be a seasonal factor of mm. your body uh, having a drive for more calories and especially sweeter things to drive mm. up that fat storage. That it, yeah. It's a biological drive because your body doesn't realize there's a safe way down the street. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and uh, like I sort of mentioned before, that that combination of fat and carbs together is really uncommon in nature other than in autumn. But, you know, obviously whether by understanding circannual rhythms or just you know this is what sells for most food manufacturers have worked out that those fat and carbs low protein is really um, hyper palatable and hyper profitable as well and it helps you not be able to stop eating but if you how much cod or tuna or spinach and steak are you going to eat you, there's, a, there's a cutoff and if that's all you've got available to you then your body says yeah that's enough and i've had plenty thank you yeah, I mean, there there are exceptions to that rule. Like I had Jessica uh, Reynolds on. She's like, when she was a food addict, she could eat steak all day long. Like, and it wouldn't, mm. like, she would still eat, even if she was still full. So that's a that's yeah, a, wow. a logical factor, though. It's not necessarily the, you know, that was playing into the feeling of the eating and not mm. so much the actual satiety pack, the way she was feeling. And like you said, getting that dopamine. There, and for me personally, like, there's a place in Amarillo, Texas, and they do a 72-ounce steak. <laughs> wow. Ate it easily. So like, <laughs> I have to watch myself because I can just keep going. But that's that's my satiety signals that are all jacked up and for mm. various reasons. you know. And part of it could be emotional, being lonely on the truck, mm. being, that eating, mm. that craving is answering that dopamine signal and mm. makes you keep doing it so you're going past mm. your satiety point and you're just training mm. that drug that drug signal when we're we're talking about different types of food to help and different types of nutrients that that people need to make things function right the satiety and things like yep. that what are some nutrients that are really commonly deficient in most of our societies and most of our people that might drive these hunger responses uh, yeah, um, omega-3, B3, um, if people are cutting up processed foods, sodium. Sodium has a really, really strong satiety response, and that's why we crave it and we want to eat enough of it. Um, but magnesium, potassium have also got a really strong satiety factor that if you're getting enough of those from your foods, um, 
your uh, appetite sort of shuts down. But if you try to get it, you know, you can supplement those things a little bit, but if you supplement them too much, they go straight through and so does everything else. And you're on the toilet forever and you don't, you know, sometimes when I play with the, I've got an optimized electrolyte mix and you go, oh, this is really good. I'll have more of it. And then you it was dry taste in your mouth and you go into the toilet a lot and it's just like your body says no 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 too much i, I can't take this in a supplemental form that's just you know so i always think like yeah, real food whole food is, is going to be optimal way to get it yeah i i do do the mineral supplements quite a bit and yeah it can be dangerous to find your balance and your tolerance yeah there's a lot of nutrients that I can think of that, that many people are, are deficient that actually could affect their hunger. And one of them I'm thinking of, especially, it seems to be especially in the keto diet or in diet in general, is is mm. not talked about a lot is iodine. Yeah, would, that's interesting. You know, we're seeing, one of the things that we're seeing an uptick in conditions of people all over the world is is thyroid conditions. You also test those same people with thyroid conditions and 90% of the time, they are extremely low in iodine. It, it doesn't take a lot of iodine to, to be beneficial, but it takes a good mm. quality kind. And a lot of the iodine sources we have in the stores, like the main one that's across the U.S. is, is, is in, in other places I've been to around the world, iodized salt. But once you open that package mm. of iodized salt, mm. the iodine decays, and it, it's no longer mm. efficacious to do it. And so... I, I do know that seafood is is also very rich in iodine. People that are in coastal areas that eat a lot of seafood, Definitely they generally perfect. have a lot of these these um, thyroid issues. That seems to be one nutrient that you know a lot of people talk about magnesium, a lot of people talk about iron or, or protein, but not a lot of people seem to talk a lot about the iodine. Yeah. And it, it seems to be yeah, an issue. Yeah. It depends on the soil it's grown in. Like you said, if it's inland soil that, that – doesn't naturally contain a lot of iodine has been the same crops have been grown over and over again and you see um in china the the, the iodine deficiencies from people further away from the sea versus the people that live near the sea and get a lot of fresh seafood and yeah iodine's interesting because it's not actually tracked in um the usda food database because it's just so variable that it, it is an essential nutrient but it's not actually tracked in food so it's it's hard to quantify but if you're getting adequate seafood in your diet then you probably got a better chance of getting enough iodine but if you're eating processed refined grains and, and sugars and the normal western diet that's just that combination of starches oils and sugars colored and flavored then um, you're probably gonna risk that low iodine as well and if your thyroid, if your iodine is low and your thyroid's jacked up, it's going to jack with your mm. hunger signals and and your fat storage. Mm. So it be one of the key reasons why people are experiencing overeating and obesity if they're mm. not proper because their the thyroid's not working properly, so they're not mm. producing the right amount of insulins and leptins and ghrelins to, for the satiety signals to, mm. to key mm. in. Mm. So that's it's just a theory on my part, but from the study, yeah. When, when I was out in the Philippines, we would go into the mountains to to work with. Uh, I worked with uh, uh, Save the Children a little bit as a volunteer. Oh, cool. I had my EMT cert, so I was doing medical stuff, like like preliminary stuff, like nothing major, but just like triaging and and you know like that type of thing. Um, but one of the things I noticed is they dealt with a lot of birth defects out in the Philippines, and we'd have people wow. like Operation Smile come out. The main one was the cleft palate, the cleft lip. Yeah, it yeah, always yeah. seemed to be in the inland 
areas that mm. we saw. And I talked to somebody and they're like, well, it's because the parents are so iodine deficient. They're, it's causing birth defects. It's causing hormonal issues and things like that. It was yeah. one of the doctors that told me that. And that's why yeah. I thought of them. And it also seemed like they had higher crime in the inland areas as well. Mm. If your hormones are jacked up, your self-control is jacked up too. Yeah. And so many things are like there's studies on where they gave prison inmates B vitamins and their, their recidivism went plummeted down and lots of beneficial things that you're going to get even better from eating nutrient-dense whole food. Yeah, and, and the, the preference is always nutrient-dense whole foods as much as you can get in. Mm. it. I'm a, I'm a big fan of sustainability in the fact of not just environmental standards, but also your finances and what's available to you. You mm. have to make the, the, mm. Sometimes you can't make the best choice, but you got to make the better choice for you, what's available mm. in your area and your environment. So. Mm. Mm. Um, to seek out some of these more nutrient-dense foods. But with our modern food society, there's a lot of these nutrient-dense foods available in things like canned seafood. Mm. Yeah, and, and it still has a high amount of nutrients. One of the things I got on my truck a lot was canned cod livers. Oh, wow. And they taste cool. just like tuna, but they're very creamy in texture. So if you smash oh, them up wow. and make a tuna salad with them, you, you know, know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's a little bit of a creamy texture to the, to the, I, I'm used to eating weird things. So like, I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, you give me a cricket. I'm in, let's go. I can't say I enjoyed cricket. Anyway, yeah, cricket I, I, I ate a lot of balut when I was in the Philippines. So, you know, it's like, I, I've eaten all kinds of weird stuff in my life. So I'm, I, I, my tolerance level is is different from a lot of other people. But uh, the cod livers, though, people will freak out when they see the can. Ooh, cod, because liver, you know. But I explain to them, it tastes like tuna. You just mix it in. It's, it's You're good to go. But things like that, the, the availability factor, especially, I don't know how it is in Australia, but mm -hmm. you may have a similar issue with especially indigenous communities and things like that. But the availability factor of these more nutrient-dense foods can be an issue in a lot yeah. of communities. It, it could be the issue could be budget or it could be availability. And I was wondering if maybe off the top of your head, you could think of uh, some, some foods that may be available in more areas that are more nutrient dense that wouldn't cost a lot of money and people might have more access to. Yeah, definitely the, the canned seafood is really good. I, I eat a lot of that. It's not dirt cheap. Um, but often, like you mentioned before, the offal or the, the slow cooker, sort of maybe the tougher cuts of meat that you can put in the slow cooker that are, are still nutritious. Um, yeah, and go to the, the local market and meet your veggie gardener and try to get some good cheap bulk veggies and take them home. So there's a few ideas, but they don't, I've, I've got a post I'll, I'll share with you on looking at cost-effective nutrient-dense foods. Um, you can go through that. So yeah, nice. definitely. I, uh Send me the link to it, and I will post it in the show notes for our, our listeners. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, there's a whole list of different nutrients versus cost that I did because somebody said, oh, yeah, this is uh, good if you can afford it. But, yeah, it doesn't have to be an expensive way to eat. Uh, I always think of this, too, because I, I, I was at a store one time when I was first starting out keto, and there was a lady trying to help another lady being keto. And she's loading in all the bulletproof products, all the primal products into this lady's cart. And the lady's like, I can't afford all this. Can't afford this. Yeah, you know, and she's like, but you need it. You need the, you know, and if you can't afford it, it's not going to be effective for you. We've, it's not going to be we've sustainable. Gone, yeah, we've gone on for a little while. So I'm going to go ahead and close things out. And I like to, 
Uh, I'll probably end up having to break this episode into two parts. Uh, <laughs> too I many could, questions. Well, no, you know, I could just, I could talk to you for a while, man, because I'm, I'm excited because I learn a lot of stuff as I go too. Uh, so my first question I always ask, as far as these short answer, real quick questions, my first question I always ask, what are three foods you think everybody should avoid? Yeah, I think I've mentioned them a few times, but uh, anything that's a combination of the refined seed oils, uh, starches and sugars, especially if they've got the colors and flavorings on top. So a lot of things that you look, pick up the packet with a barcode and it's got ingredients with some sort of combination of all of those foods, you should put it down and it's probably not going to be, it's going to be engineered to make you eat more of it without giving you the nutrients you need. So. What are three foods you think everybody should incorporate into their diet? Yeah, I think just as a group, the, the animal, seafood, and, and non-starchy veggies uh, a great way to do it. And that'll uh, get most of what you want from, from what most people call keto. Who are five of your health heroes? Yeah, um, uh, Rob Wolf has been a big hero. That has been a great influence. Um, Ted Naiman, who you had on the other day, who was amazing. Um, Dr. Bernstein, who's been big in, in type 1 diabetes. And I just thought of a few um, you know, people who have been part of my community, Sue Davies and uh, Camilla Caton from New Zealand, who have just you know smashed the whole nutrient density and just seen massive transformations in their life and they've become really good friends and, you know, they... Yeah, Camilla went from, I think she was 150 kilos and now she's down at 85 and now smashing it in strength woman competitions and um, uh, like about to get weight loss surgery to like lock it in to take off all the extra bonus uh, skin and, and Sue's like 72 and sharp as and she went from really big to really small and healthy and gaining muscle. And yeah, so it's just an inspiration to see these people implement these theories and, and just have such great transformations and become friends. So I, I love that. Nice. What is one big health myth that you wish you could just get rid of overnight? Oh, uh, so many. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, yeah, a better understanding of insulin and, and, and how to optimize insulin by prioritizing satiety and nutrient density rather than avoiding protein and um, yeah, prioritizing more fat, I think, which is potentially less nutritious. So that's, that's the, one of the ones that come to mind. And what is something, if you could change in the one thing in the medical industry overnight, what would that be? Um, yeah, I'd love to see nutrition, nutrients become central to, to health and the first port of call um, when people need to improve their health. I'd love to see them go, you know, what does your body need and how can we nourish it and grow it and revitalize it before we start drugging it and operating on it? And they may be required down the road if you can't get what you need from food and health and lifestyle. But I think there's so much more we can get out of, you know, lifestyle interventions with what we eat and how we're active that um, we're not leveraging yet. And we can save a lot of people without spending a lot of money. It seems like the least invasive procedure would be a lifestyle mm. change food than mm. jumping green meds, right? Mm, totally. And yeah, the, 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 but the whole medical system is so driven by the, the money that goes around for all these treatments. And so it's going to be hard to unwind. So yeah, people like you getting the word out there to people to change their health before they need that intervention, I think is critical. What, if some people want to follow you, if they want to, to join your yeah. groups, maybe part of your, your, your data collection, 
how do they find you? Yeah, um, we've got Optimizing Nutrition. So there's a blog there. Um, they can Google data-driven fasting. We've got a Facebook group and a, a manual that you can download and start with your baseline spreadsheet. And also nutrientoptimizer.com. You can um, work out what foods and meals will better suit you. And you can, if you want to track for a couple of days, you can track your food and say, hey, this is what I'm eating. What do I need to eat more of to get the nutrients I need to thrive and achieve my goals, whether they be, you know, mental health and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, epilepsy or whatever, or, you know, weight loss or athletic goals or bulking or whatever that is. So we can help dial that in to suit your goals. All right, man. I'm going to close things out before I go. I gotta. I want to give a quick shout out to three of our rock stars who help support the show, keep the lights on, and keep us as a uh, independent, non-ad driven, uh, webby airwaves radio show. So I want to <laughs> thank Isabella Jones, Sherry Nauer, and Emily Spicer Storms for being awesome rock stars. And I want to thank Helen Hopkins for her comments on the show. Uh, she said, "Thanks, Yogi, for another great episode. Short, sweet, like it." So thank you so much for leaving a comment. It helps get the show out there. And I want to encourage everybody, times are stressful right now. So be kind to one another, whether it's on the airways, whether it's on, on real life, whether it's on the web, try to put more kindness out there because it seems like right now, especially people tend to go the nasty route and it's not doing anybody any good. So everybody, I am signing off. Thank you for tuning in to the Fatty Joe Show. Thank you for joining us on the Fatty Joe Show. Be sure to leave a comment and subscribe. It helps the show reach more people. To support the show, as well as Carrie Brown and Yogi's work on the blog, Keto Recipe Development, Masterclasses, and to gain access to private Facebook groups and other awards, go to patreon.com slash Show or patreon.com slash Brown. Also, check out our Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker YouTube channel for video versions of the Fatty Joe Show, recipe videos, and more. Join our awesome community on the Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker. And check out our CarrieBrown.com website for recipes, blog posts, discounts, cookbooks, masterclasses, and other great stuff. Thank you so much.